Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome. If you're new, my name is Tim McDonald. I'm the lead pastor here at AJC. If we have not yet met, my wife and I often stand at that door right out there. Please come by, say hi. I'd love to get to know a little bit about your story. We are two weeks into a three-week vision series. Uh, and we're, we're looking at what does it look like for us to, as a church to be the family and, and this calling to like be those people that God has called us to be both like here on a Sunday, but throughout our entire week. There's so much competing for our time and our energy. It's imperative that we take time to set aside, to remind ourselves of our vision, of who we are, uh, and, and renew that commitment to being a King Jesus family. That said, we are going to be studying the scriptures this morning. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and throw a hand up in the air. One of the men and women around the room would love to get you a Bible. Um, when you get it, or once you get your Bible out, go ahead and flip open to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. You know, the Bible has so much to say about God's vision of family. And in fact, actually, most of the Torah, those original like five books of the, of the Old Testament, they're all about God creating and crafting a family. The, the original language in Genesis 1 through 3 is so familial, like God literally like forming humankind, breathing his life into us, walking with us, discipling us, disciplining us, nurturing us, all like a parent would. And then later in Genesis 12, we, God, he sets one family, one specific family apart, the family of Abraham and Sarah. And, and he calls them to carry on his family mission. Like he, he charges them, hey, take this blessing that I'm going to give to you and then give it away to everybody else. Draw them in, show them who I really am. But because of a devastatingly crafty enemy and our own free will, Honestly, the story doesn't go that well. Um, God spends the rest of the Old Testament fighting to get his family back, more specifically, to get their hearts back. Because God doesn't want some blind religious obedience. God wants our hearts. He wants our allegiance. He wants our worship. He wants our love. And then Jesus Right? We come to the New Testament, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that the lion from the tribe of Judah who goes to war against our enemy, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, the one who in the words of Hebrews 10 from last week created a new and living way opened for us through the curtain of his body, allowing us to draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having been washed with pure water. The language from Hebrews 10 from last week is so beautiful. Jesus made a way for us to approach God in confidence. And through his victory over sin, he purchased for himself a people of his very own. Titus 2, 14. He created, he formed, he, he shaped together his family, the church. And early in the life of the church, we read these words. Would you please stand with me as I read out from Acts 2? 
Acts 2, starting in verse 42, goes like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to take a just a moment, have us as a whole community read out this portion of Psalm 68. So it's up on the screen here. Let's read this out loudly in, in, a, in a loud, in a big voice. Here we go. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in the sun-scorched land. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, the one who rides on the clouds. What a beautiful name for you. Lord, we come to you, the father to the fatherless, the, the defender of widows. Lord, we come to you, the one who sets the lonely in families. Thank you, Lord, for being a good father, for showing us what family's supposed to look like, for creating us together to care for each other and for this world that you've placed us in. Thank you. And today, Lord, we just invite you to be our teacher. Would you teach us? We want to learn how to be more like you. We love you, Jesus. This is all for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. Okay, it was Y2K. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I use that string of letters and numbers? Yeah, Y2K, year 2000. You know, everybody was like packing stuff away and there was all the, like, it was crazy. You had to be there. For all the young people in the room, trust me, you didn't miss anything. Um, <laughs> I was a youth pastor, actually, at another local church, and uh, we ha I had recently returned from a completely life-changing, life-altering time in the United Kingdom. I had encountered the call of God to return back to Scotland and start this like community-based mission school, church plant, uh, you know, outreach to the neighbors. It was going to be amazing, everything, all the things. The only problem was... I hadn't told my wife yet. And, and she had recently just had our, our first child, Duncan, and life was kind of starting to slowly normalize, but it was still crazy. So I took Brittany, as a, as a good husband, I took her out for coffee, we got, got some childcare. We sat down and we had a conversation and we talked about this call, this encounter that I'd had in Scotland, moving my hands all over the place, all of the passion, right? Trying to lay it out before my amazing wife. And much to my surprise, her response was incredible and unexpected. She looked at me and she said, I think you're right. I think God is calling us to Scotland. 
And after my jog was, came off the table again, <laughs> I, I, we shed some tears together, we prayed together, and we began to make plans for our new future. It's funny, those human plans, God plans, and I mean, humans plan, and, and then God laughs, right? That's what happens, that's how the, that Yiddish proverb goes. 24 hours later, after an extremely rare, like Portland earthquake, we found out that we were pregnant with number two. Um, but we were committed, right? We were locked, this was God's call. So we rolled up our sleeves, we, we began fundraising, we put our house on the market, got it sold, we sold off a bunch of our things, and then we waited till after Kelton was born and a handful of weeks later, packed up the rest of our belongings into a trailer and moved to Oxnard, California to do a year of training with this goal of getting to Scotland as soon as possible. Again, those plans, those plans, they get us every time. A couple of months into our training in Oxnard, Brittany got sick. Duncan was 20 months old. Kelton was about three, almost three months old. And we were living with this other family. We were still fundraising and we were doing all this training. Our life was insane and she just could not get better. And ultimately, I'm not sure what it was uh, that inspired me to do this. Maybe it was just the, the, the thought of pure terror, but I went out and bought a pregnancy test. I mean, surely not. We were still measuring Kelton's age in weeks. Th there was no way. Right? Well, you guessed it. Nine months later, we were a family of five. Mackenzie came along, three kiddos, two and a half and under. What's more, eight months later, we were shopping for flats in the west end of Glasgow, Scotland. This little family, we were quite the spectacle in Glasgow's university district. People would literally stop and watch us walk by. It was like the circus had come to town. <laughs> one little old lady actually stopped Brittany at one point and looked, and looked at all of them and she said, well, I guess they all look healthy. I mean, I'm like, wow, that was really mean. And, and, and quite regularly, people would ask us, don't you own a television set? I'm like, that's just mean. But Scots are notoriously cheeky. And some of you will catch on to that as it goes on. We were quite the sight. During those first couple of years, I remember Brittany and I wrestling with why. Why, God? Like, we, we wanted kids, but this was like too much, too soon. Now, we were up to our neck with trying to learn how to be a parent to all these little people so far away from our family, so far away from the people that we knew. Why now, God? It seemed like God had made a mistake. How could we possibly do the ministry, have time for the ministry that God had called us to? How are we supposed to love these college students? And how are we supposed to love our team? And how are we supposed to take care of and care for our neighbors and have our own private nursery all at the same time? But as the years passed, an interesting thing began to happen. Bound to our home, because of our young kids, we began to bring people into our home, into our family. Our home became a safe place for students. It became a safe place for moms. It became a safe place for guests and families and the ladies who owned the coffee shop across the street and our ever-growing team. In those early years, we learned a powerful truth 
We learn that family is more than just a people or you know, aligned by blood uh, or, or an identity. People aligned by a last name uh, or some sort of shared experience. And it's more than just a value, like some shared cultural values. Though it can be all of those things, family is also a vehicle. It's a structure, a tool even. A family creates a safe space that allows people to come as they are while giving them the time needed to belong, grow, and align. Let me say that again. Family creates a safe space that allows people to come as they are while giving them the time needed to belong, grow, and align. And this, this can be for good or for bad, right? Whether it's a gang or whether it's a recovery group. The vehicle of family, which like it or not, is probably a minivan, um, is the primary way that people find long-term belonging. And partly, this is because family has been hardwired into our being. God crafted us back in the garden to be his children, image bearers, to take his purpose, our shared common values forward into all of creation. And this was more than just some theological idea. It was practical, even and often biological. God made humanity as family for family. Notice the language of Psalm 68, that psalm that we read. This amazing God who rides on the clouds, a conquering king who is worthy of praise, fear, adoration, and worship, the Lord of all, is then described this way. Verse five, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. In the midst of all of the awesome comes the intimate. God is a father to the fatherless. Notice, not like a father, God is a father. In the midst of the holy, holy, holy God, he makes space for those who have no parent, for those who've been abandoned by their earthly mom and dad, or for those who have lost a parent through death or absence. God is there. What's more is he's present to those on the margins. Without family, widows would have, they would have run the risk of destitution. Along with the loss of their spouse would have come the loss of protection and care in this Middle Eastern culture. In the midst of being worthy, 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 God is not afraid to be present with the least of these. Present to those who mourn, who suffer, who dwell in the sorrow of loneliness. God is there. But how? How is God there? Notice verse six. God sets the lonely in families. Notice that one of God's primary ways of being a father to the fatherless, being a defender of widows, is placing those people in families. Of all the vast resources that God has available to the, to the one who rides on the clouds, family is his go-to vehicle. It's God's minivan. And that's, this is good news for the fatherless. It's good news for the abandoned. It's good news for the defenseless, the grieving, and the barren. God does not need biology to build family, though 
He often uses it. And God does not need programs to create safe places, though he often uses those as well. No, God more often than not uses groups of his children united around his purposes, committed to each other and loving their neighbors well. God uses his family. Now, the difficulty, of course, of having this conversation in our day and age is all of the trauma, and I use that word intentionally, around family in our world. Abuse, separation, the pursuit of money and things above all else, uh, culture wars, and an all-out attack even on the idea of family. And in the last decades, we've added to that like increasing isolation and a society that doesn't want any definition or any expectation and a waterfall of too much information and too many options and too little compassion. We have people on the one hand who have been wounded by an earthly father and have no desire or even way of thinking about God as a father in any way, shape, or form. And then you've got people on the other hand who never even had a father and, and, or a mother for that matter, and they don't know what they're even re, re, mess, missing. There's some hole in their chest, some longing in their chest. They can't figure out how to fill it because they don't even know that it's missing. And then still others fed on a steady diet of anti-everything, anti-system, form, establishment, authority, they're left wondering why it is that they have this fountain of cultural rage inside of them, twisted sorrow from generations of not being held by a father or cared for by a mother. All of us yearning for the same thing. All of us desiring to, to know and be known, to belong, to have a family. Having been in pastoral ministry for almost 30 years, Brittany and I have seen the real trauma of broken families. We've mourned with those who have mourned. We have wept with those who have wept. And, and we've been in those relational spheres when people who have been so hurt can only think of hurting others around them. That's all they have room for. Family can be brutal. And I'm often asked around here, especially the church, after I give messages like this, whether it wouldn't be better to just use a different word. Maybe we should just start using different language. Maybe we, we should be a King Jesus team. Or, or how about for, for all of the like DC people out there, we could be the Jesus League. Or maybe the King's Co-op. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could go for. There's a lot of different directions we could go in this. But, but I think the thing is, is that Deep down, we know that there is cultural baggage as it relates to family, but I'm not sure that it's a word that we should give up on. And, and I know that there are many who don't even have a sphere and, or even the ability to understand what it could look like to be in family. But even in the midst of the trauma, even in the midst of walking through all those painful paths and this cultural carnage around us, most of us still have echoes of God's family in our soul. Most of us know what, what family tastes like, what it smells like, what it, what it sounds like, 
what it feels like. And we know it because we were created for it. As an example, let's take a look back at Acts 2. The book of Acts is this like follow-up from the gospel of Luke, right? It's like Luke part two. And in chapter two, we are seeing the first weeks of the early church after Jesus has gone back to be with his father, okay? The early church has just walked through this devastating trauma of having their leader and, and, and their rabbi like tortured, murdered, gone for a few days, and then suddenly back. It's crazy, right? And, and, and then he's back and he's changing all these things and pulling people in, and then he's gone again. And now... This fledgling family is trying to live out all of the habits and patterns that they saw in, in Jesus' life. They're trying to figure out how to be a family without Jesus there, without him. So let's explore some of the things that bubble up to the surface as this young family starts to figure out what family looks like. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. First, right out of the gate, as, as they start coming back together again, they obviously focus on the apostles' teaching. They want to know everything they can about this Jesus man. What did he do? How did he live? How do we become like now? Remember, they don't have Bibles at this point, right? Like this is that, that's like a way later invention. Everything is through conversation, is through communication, is through coming around the voices of those that knew Jesus and people talk about him. This is what it looks like to live like him. And so for thousands of new converts, there's these groups of people telling the story of Jesus his purpose for humanity, creating a place to grow, to align with, with the heart of God. And they focused on him. But second, they also focused on the fellowship. The Greek word there is this word called koinonia. And it's like this idea of like loyal commitment to, to God's collecting people, to God's gathered family. And it includes the ideas of like partnership and mutual responsibility, whether it's in large groups or small groups, it was clear Believers in Jesus were not going to keep growing without each other. So he surrounded themselves around Jesus, but they did it together as a community. But third, they focused on the breaking of bread. Now, this is likely just kind of like a quick way of saying that they came together for the Lord's Supper, for, for, the, for the bread and the cup. Now, the bread and cup would have happened around a meal, like not like we do here where we've got this like little thing. They would have had their full-on meal together. And as they did that, then they would pull the bread and the wine together and they would celebrate this moment of remembering their Lord Jesus, of recommitting themselves to him in the wake of his death for them. And then finally, they focused on prayer. They were committed to a lifestyle of attentive encounter with the presence of God. And not just individually, but, a, but as a community. Not just for themselves, but for their community. The outflow was dramatic. Like you see these outpourings of the power of God with signs and wonders done by the apostles, but God's presence was manifest in their community. The point of it all is that the community was centered around the person and work of Jesus. And, and and it was his priorities that set the trajectory of all that they did. 
the, the family of God, it does have core beliefs. It does have things that set it apart, family values that set it apart, but they created the space, the vehicle to allow people to understand and learn what those values were. But let's keep going. Acts 2 verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The next thing we notice is a radical commitment to generosity. Now, for sure, the needs of this early Jerusalem community in, in, in first century uh, Israel were unique. Hence the whole like having everything in common. But the heart of generosity is still central today to the church. I remember like, just like a week ago, I was literally about to get up on stage a week ago and I got a text from my son, Kelton. I don't remember last week, Britt mentioned Kelton and Mackenzie are in uh, college together in Chicago. And he texted me, hey dad, I'm gonna, I'm, I wanna take Mackenzie out for uh, lunch at my favorite place. And I'm like, aw, that's kind of sweet, right? He's like, but I don't have any money. Like, any, like alms for the poor kind of thing. And so I'm like, no, oh, of course. Of course I'm going to give money to, for my son to take my daughter out for, for lunch. I mean, that's like, I'm a dad. That's what I do, right? right? And we all know this. This is the nature of family because we care for each other. And, that, and, right? and oftentimes, parents, am I, am I wrong? Uh, we have to open our wallets as a result. But there, honestly, there are few people in my life who I will open it as quickly as I will for my own kids. And this is what it means to be in the kingdom. We see this all the time at AJC. I mean, meals brought after a surgery or after a baby, projects done for, by the church for like a local family or local widow or through one of our partners, or even our weekly tithes and offerings that help keep our staff paid and ministry happening here around AJC. A family gives to help make ordinary life happen and a family gives to care for those that are in need. That's just what family does. That's how we do this thing. So this is a moment to just say thank you. Thank you, friends, for helping make our family happen. I know the finances have been a bumpy road the last little while, but thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being a part of a family. But let's keep going. Acts 2.46 says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke breads in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice again the commitment to being together. The early church circled up in the temple courts. I'm sure it was kind of similar to the ladies' line dancing night on Friday night. I'm just kidding. It probably was nothing like that. But I heard that the 80s line dancing night went great. Is that true? Yeah? Went awesome, right? They, they gathered up in larger groups to come together to have those moments, probably a lot like a Sunday morning, to integrate together, to talk together, to, to worship together, to look at the scripture together in larger groups. And they also circled up in their homes, breaking bread, eating together with joy and sincerity, a lot like our communities, AJC communities, like having a, a Taco Tuesday. The picture this text paints is one of a community that just loves being together. It looks a lot like Thanksgiving dinner, and it sounds a lot like family because it is. And I want this to land this morning. I want us to land this this morning on that last part of the verse in 47. 
We have this beautiful picture of ordinary people breaking bread together in their homes around their tables. It's a moment of like, of, of enjoyment and genuineness. And Jesus is being lifted up and there's blessing and favor and people, they're not feeling pushed away, right? People, they aren't feeling judged. There's something happening in this family around this table that's drawing people in. And look at the fruit. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want to be clear. That line is there on purpose. It's not an accident. It's not a throwaway statement. This family, it exists to reproduce more family. It exists for more than just the people who are currently around the table. It exists for those who could be around the table. Remember, we follow a God who left the 99 to go after the one. We, we follow a God who wanted to represent himself as a father and the father he represented himself was one who was looking at the horizon waiting for his prodigal son to come back. And then when he saw him, when he just saw him right at the edge, he, he threw off everything and ran to go get him. That's the God we follow. One with a passion for those who are not yet around the table. A God who runs to prodigals, a savior who lays down his life for his followers, a God who's eager to get his family back. When we think about often, I think as a community, as a church, what it looks like to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors and with our friends, I, I, I wonder sometimes if we just don't overcomplicate it. And when we talk about loving our neighbor and doing justice, loving mercy, I wonder if maybe we just are sometimes setting the goal line in the wrong place. We keep trying to fix like a problem that's out there when Jesus is asking us to bring the relationships in here. Right around the table. You know, what's, what's at the center of a really healthy family? An awesome family table. It's a place of, of safety and familiarity, of welcome. You can come and expect to know and be known. It's a place of conversation, of laughter, of eating, of drinking, things, are, things, things that are the most common of the human experience. It's life-giving. It's fun, simple, delightful. It's, it's level. That's what I love about tables, level ground. Yeah, there, there is space and honor for, for roles. There's like somebody can be at the head of the table. But the table itself is a level ground that everybody can come to. Everyone's invited to. It's a place of service. A place where we can serve and be served, where we can give gifts, where we can be a blessing. It's interesting. The Lord has used our table, Brit and I's table, in some really amazing ways over the years. And, and, and one, of the way, one of the unique ways, that almost like a theme that we've seen over the last like 30 years is this repeated safe space for single moms. God has allowed us the privilege of loving and caring for a number of single moms over the years. And some have been amazing stories, incredible fruit, things that have happened out the backside that have been incredible. And some have been deeply painful but our table, our home, has always been a shelter 
It's always been a place of love because family creates a space that allows people to come as they are while giving them the time needed to grow, to belong, to align to the way of Jesus. This is what family does. This is what an open table does. And it was incredible. Is this Friday night? We get to celebrate one of those single moms as she's getting married right here in this room. She found this amazing guy. She found this incredible calling and she found Jesus all through family around an open table. What would it look like for all of us? A family of families if we all just opened up our table for one other person. I mean, how many tables are represented even in this room? What would it look like to just see one seat as a space, as a place to create love and care and compassion for those who have been isolated, for those who have been maybe pressed out to the margin? What would it look like for us to have an open table? If everybody did that here in this room, we would change this city. That's the community that we want to be here at AJC. The kind of community that has an open table right in the center of our house. That's still, still a place of joy and family and love and caring, but it also has empty chairs just ready to welcome people in. And this takes us moving from an inward-focused mentality to an outward-focused mentality. To keeping our eyes open, our hands open, our hearts open, to be willing to allow them to be hurt every once in a while, to be broken every once in a while. There is risk involved. But in the midst of the risk comes beautiful, amazing, life-giving reward. I wouldn't I wouldn't change any pain for the incredible people that God has brought into our life. So, today, I want to leave us with three calls. First call, join the family. If you are out here today, if you're in this community today, and and maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you have come to church maybe a few times or maybe you've been coming for a while but you've always kept Jesus at a distance. I just wanna call you today to say today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come into the family, to join us. Jesus has purpose and life and love and hope. He has so much for you waiting at the other side, on the other side of your yes. At the end of our time, right after I'm done teaching, we're going to do a call, a prayer call, and, and we're going to call people forward. And I'm going to be standing up over with a couple other people by the, the baptismal tank. Don't worry, we won't baptize you today. But I'm going to be there. And if you want to pray and accept Jesus into your story, into your life, I'm going to be there. I want to pray with you. Join me over there. Call number one first, join the family. Call number two, create space around your table. Don't overthink this. 
I mean, I think sometimes we read through the scriptures and all we see is the highlight reel and it's so intimidating. The reality is, is the stories, they happened over the course of years. Years. You don't know what your next story is going to be. You don't know how long that relationship's going to take. You don't know. This is all God's timing. It's God's stuff. What would it look like for you to just create some space around your table? Don't overthink it. And if you have literally no idea how to begin, I would encourage you, consider Alpha. Do Alpha. Ask the questions. Alpha is amazing. And it's more than just this one-time experience that happens on on an evening. It's a way of thinking about life. It's a way of being the kind of people who go after the one. To be like our father. AJC is an open table kind of family. I'd invite you just to join us in that journey. Call number three, pray. Pray for future family. Pray for those who are not sitting around the table. You probably noticed when you sat down, there was a little red card. Could somebody hold one up just so we're all looking at the same thing? There we go, little red card. This card, it just encourages you to name a person. And maybe you don't have any names right now. It's like, yeah, I don't really know a lot of people that don't know Jesus. I don't really, like, then, then name the, the person. Like, say, like, there's the person I get coffee from every Tuesday morning. I'm going to start praying for them. There's my dentist, who after, like, 17 years, I should probably know his name, but I don't. Right? So this, I'm going to start praying for him or her. Just name them. And begin that journey of praying towards God's purposes and then wait and watch and see what God does. Because remember, he loves these people more than we do. He wants them to be a part of the family. Would you stand, please? If you would, I just want to encourage you to open up your hands. And I just want to pray for us as a church as we step into this pursuit of being a people of an open table. Lord, we just confess to you that honestly, we, like, we don't have enough. We're not courageous enough. We're not smart enough. We don't have all the answers. I mean, there's maybe a small handful of like actual counselors in this room but for the rest of us, Lord, we, we walk into these traumatic relationships and we're not sure what to do. But we know that you know. That you are. That you create family so that you can put the fatherless, motherless into families. And Lord, I just say on behalf of us as a church, We want to be that place. We still got empty seats around our tables, Lord. We have space. Fill our community, our family with people who don't know you yet, who are on a journey to come to know you. Lord, show us those people. Put their faces in in our minds right now as I pray. Lord, I pray for this church, for us as a community, would you call us to be courageous, to speak and to listen and to invite.
Lord, I pray your blessing and your favor over my family. Thank you so much for this incredible church. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.